When you see the proliferation of evil all around, wondering where God is, and when you're tempted to despair, read Revelation chapter 19. One day the world as we know it will come to an end. John tells of the coming of the rider on the white horse. On his robe is written, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Then John sees a glorious thing. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. And the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. This is a mighty clash between heaven and hell, and Jesus wins. Wow, that's exciting stuff, I'll tell you. Uh, it's exciting, that is, if you have put your faith in Christ. Yeah? You with me on that? Some aren't sure? Well, today I hope that you'll be sure. Now, we uh, have just uh, done some... Uh, some renovations of our tech system. So if we have a few problems, don't anybody panic or run out or get angry. But uh, let's see here. <laughs> I, I control everything now. <laughs> it's very exciting. Um, so folks, uh, can I ask everybody to please turn their phones off right now? And if you could just refrain from getting up or moving, let's sit and let's not disrupt or interrupt anybody. Let's pay attention to what God has to say to us this morning. It's a little complicated, but you're smart people, so I don't anticipate we'll have any problems. Last week, we talked about Revelation 18. We talked about the judgment that was, uh, was proclaimed uh, on Babylon. And Babylon, in case you don't remember, represents the systems of this world. It represents... Uh, satanic rule through the Antichrist and through the beast. And uh, it represents all those who have embraced Babylon. And we are a people who have embraced the city of our God and our God, Mount Zion. As salvation comes from Zion. We read that through the Psalms. And death comes through Babylon. We're going to talk more about that in just a moment. But what I want to do before I, uh, I look at Revelation 19, I want to go back to Revelation chapter 4. John, the revelator, John is the one who receives this revelation. That's why we call it revelations. He is caught up into heaven, and he experiences a, just a taste of what heaven is going to be like. He sees the angels. He sees the, the creatures. He sees the 24 elders. And the Bible tells us that the elders are standing around the throne of God, worshiping him, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and is still to come. Who is the one who is still to come? Jesus. And then we go to chapter five. And in chapter five, the angel holds a scroll, and the question is, who can open the scroll? 
and nobody can open the scroll. And John says that he weeps bitter tears because no one was worthy to open the scroll. And then one of the elders says, John, stop weeping. The Lamb of God, Jesus, he has won the victory and he is worthy to open the scroll. Hallelujah. And then the elders began to sing this song. You, Lamb of God, are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. That's a good song. We should sing this once in a while. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe, language and people and nation. By the way, you'll notice it says from every nation. That's why we do work in Burundi. Someday when we stand before the throne and worship our God, our brothers and sisters from Burundi are gonna be standing beside us. Deb, I know that makes you excited. I know it makes a lot of us excited. We're gonna be standing beside people from all over the world who put their faith in Christ, people whose sins were washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Now Jesus opens the scroll and in, in chapter five, and then in chapter six to eight, we see his great judgment poured out upon Babylon. What I wanted to do is I wanted you to see that the book of Revelation is not as complicated as a lot of people think it is. I hear people say, oh, no, I can't read Revelation, I don't understand. Oh, I just told you, John, chapter four, John's caught up into heaven. He, he gets a glimpse of the glory of heaven. He gets a glimpse of Almighty God. And then chapter five, we find that, uh, that Jesus is declared the one who is worthy to open the scrolls of judgment, to break the seals. And then in chapters six to 18, we see the judgment poured out upon Babylon. Babylon, again, in case you don't remember, it represents the world, the world system. It represents the financial system and the spiritual and the rulership of Antichrist on this earth. How many understand today that the world as we know it right now is under satanic rule? Does everybody understand that? This is what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4.4. The God of this world, the God of this world has blinded the eyes of those who don't believe, of those who are perishing. So we understand that what the world stands for, it's ultimately, it's satanic rule. And what we're seeing in chapters six to 18 is we're seeing judgment poured out upon Satan and his rulership. And it's for this reason, by the way, that James warns all Christians, and especially those who are backsliding. If you're here today backsliding, then today you are going to be warned by the grace of God. If you have grown cold towards God, this is for you this morning. James says, you adulterers, and by adulterers, we're not talking about, this time we're not talking about the adultery that happens here on this earth, we're talking about the adultery that happens between the believer and God. How many understand today that the church, that Christians are the bride of Christ? Does everybody understand that? Did you know that? We're the bride of Christ, Jesus is the groom. 
He is our beloved. He is the only one that we ought to love. And James says, hold on a minute here. You people who are backsliding, you people who have grown cold towards God, you are adulterers. You're cheating on Jesus. Did you ever think of it that way? You adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? You can't love this world and love God. I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. And so we have to understand that. Chapter 6 to 18 is a warning to us that we must hate this world. When I say hate this world, I don't mean hate the people in this world. I mean hate the systems of this world that are under satanic rule. Let me tell you this. If there's no difference between you and an unbeliever, then you're in serious trouble. If it's not obvious that you belong to Jesus Christ, that you worship the King of Kings, the Lamb who sits upon the throne, if it's not obvious, then there's a good chance that you are a friend of the world. And if you're a friend of the world, you have made yourself an enemy of God. Don't be afraid of Satan. Be afraid of God. In this last days, the world will be controlled by Antichrist and the beast. And those of us who are real Christians, and what do I mean by that? I mean, there are people who call themselves Christians. Hollywood's full of people who call themselves Christians. The world is full of people who call themselves Christians. But I'm not talking about cultural Christians. I'm not talking about people who like the idea of Christianity. I'm not talking about people who grew up in a Christian home. I'm talking about people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ and follow him, who are truly converted. I had someone challenge me on that. Say, Pastor Allen, don't you think you're being a bit harsh calling for people to be truly converted? Maybe, Pastor Allen, the real issue is the lordship of Jesus Christ. Maybe we need to teach people that Jesus is Lord and we must submit to him. And here's what I know after all these years of being a pastor, if you are born again, if you are converted from on high, then you recognize that Jesus is your Savior and your Lord because you are a new creation. You are a new creature. Get it? Good. It's important that you know that. In fact, the Apostle Paul describes Christians like this. He says, Christians are those who eagerly look forward to Christ's appearing. Are you looking forward to Christ's appearing? That is actually a title for a believer. Those people at Cross Church, those are the people who are looking for Christ's return. Can that be said of you today? Now, if, if, if not, then you've come to the right place because I'm gonna show you how you can get yourself sorted out and be ready for Christ's return. But if you are one of those people who are eagerly looking forward to Christ's return, you are going to love Revelation chapter 19. You're gonna absolutely lovely, love it. Chapter 19 is a celebration. It's a celebration of the end of all evil. Someone say hallelujah. The end of all evil. 
and the end of the Antichrist, the end of the beast, the end of Satan's rule. Chapter 19 is a celebration of the arrival of the rider on the white horse, whose name is Jesus, King of kings and Lord of all lords. Are you looking eagerly for Christ's return? You're gonna love this. Start in Revelation chapter 19, verse one. And John, after he has heard all about the judgments from Revelation 6 to 18, we get to verse 19, and he says, after this, I heard what sounded like a vast crowd in heaven shouting, Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. His judgments are true and just. He has punished the great prostitute, which is Babylon, the world, who corrupted the earth with her immorality. He has avenged the murder of his servants, those Christians who have been martyred for the sake of Christ. Wow. You see why James says, you adulterers? You've taken up with a prostitute. You've taken up with the world. You've embraced and loved the things of this world. The things of this world have become more important to you than Jesus Christ and obedience to him. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. hallelujah. This is exactly how Revelation chapter 19 starts. We're gonna do something very different this morning, something we've never done before. Are you ready? We're gonna have a little taste of heaven, a little dress rehearsal for heaven. I'm gonna ask everybody to stand with me as I read these eight verses. And so when I give you this signal, I want you to shout hallelujah. Can we give it a try? <laughs> well, someone's eager and excited to say hallelujah. Okay, ready? Hallelujah! Ooh, does that send chills down your spine and your legs? Does it, Deb? It does me. Hallelujah. Listen to this. Ready? Are you ready? For the four hallelujahs, the great hallelujahs of Revelation 19. After this, I heard what sounded like a vast crowd in heaven shouting, Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. His judgments are true and just. He has punished the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality. He has avenged the murder of his servants. And again, their voices rang out. The smoke from the city ascends forever and ever. Then the 24 elders and the four living beings fell down and worshiped God who was sitting on the throne. And they cried out, amen. And from the throne came a voice that said, Praise our God, all his servants, all who fear him, from the least to the greatest. Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of a mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Hallelujah. 
For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a hand this morning. Hallelujah. If you weren't looking forward to heaven when you got here, I think you might be right now. Amen? Amen. It's glorious, it's thrilling, it's exciting. We're looking forward to Christ's return. Well, when we read these passages, these first eight verses, we see five reasons for this joy, this rejoicing in heaven. The first thing we recognize is that God's full salvation is complete. Jesus wins. And if Jesus wins, that means we win. <laughs> His salvation is complete. Do you know that right now God is in the process of sanctifying you by His Spirit? That word sanctify is just a fancy theological term, which means that God is making you holy. When we get to Revelation 19, the work is done. You are safe for eternity. Hallelujah. God is at work. His salvation is complete. The other thing that we recognize is that justice is done. I had somebody come to me after the service last week to tell me about the way that they were uh, abused as a child. And I want you to know that all of the sorrow, all the sadness, all the wickedness, all the evil, all the, all the disease, all the problems, all the horrors that we have experienced, God is dealing with that in Revelation 6 to 18. And now we celebrate it's all over. Justice has been meted out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Two hands. Hallelujah. That's good. Rebellion has ended. Have you struggled with rebellion in your life? The answer to that is yes. Have you, have you struggled with rebellion in your life? Well, four people. Let me tell you this again. The answer is yes. Have you struggled with rebellion in your life? Yes. Thank you. If you don't understand that you've struggled with rebellion in your life, then you don't understand the need of a savior, right? You need a savior who's going to save you because as the great hymn writer said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the Lord I love. That is the human heart. But God, by his grace, by his mercy, and by his spirit, he makes us more than conquerors through Christ. Hallelujah. The rebellion is over. And the next thing that we're celebrating is that God is in control, that Satan is defeated once and for all. Satan sat on his throne here from the time of Adam and Eve when they handed over the rulership of this world to that satanic power. But Jesus takes it back. And that's what we're celebrating in Re uh, Revelation 19. Satan is deposed. He's kicked off his throne. He no longer is ruling. Somebody say it. 
Hallelujah. And of course, the great marriage of the Lamb. I want to talk about that now in a little bit more depth. Because I'm going to tell you right now, the marriage supper of the Lamb, this is the celebration for people who are truly converted. This is the celebration for people who are real Christians. And here's what, here's what it says here. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. Now, some of us have heard about this for years, and we haven't really understand, uh, understood it. First of all, let me, let me just try to answer this question. Why are these people blessed who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb? Well, first one, the obvious reason is because that you have escaped the tribulation and the judgment. Hallelujah. How many are happy to know that? You're blessed because you are in heaven. You're blessed because you will spend eternity with Christ. Is this exciting stuff? Folks, this is our faith. This is what we believe. This is Christianity 101. This is the Christianity that's been handed down to us. Unfortunately, this world... And some of the pastors and the preachers of this world, and I say of this world, I didn't say in this world. John, in John chapter 17, uh, Jesus uh, clearly prays for us as we are in this world, but not of this world. To be of this world means that we are participating in and embracing the things of this world. But to be in this world means that we are a light, we are salt. In this dark world, God is calling us to make a difference in this world while we are here. But I'm going to tell you, folks, the struggles, the suffering, the difficulty, the problems, the temptations that plague all of us, it all comes to an end. And everyone who is truly converted, everyone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ will be invited to the wedding feast. If you are not a true believer, if you are not a believer at all, if you're not a Christian, if you are a a follower of some other religion, you are not invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Did you get that? Satan lies to us. He tells us all, all religious roads lead to God. This is a demonic lie. Because if that were true, then we wouldn't need a lamb of God. Jesus wouldn't have to die on the cross for our sins. Jesus wouldn't have to experience the horrors of the cross. But he had to experience that because somebody had to pay the price for your sin. Remember what God said to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter uh, chapter 2, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, verse 17, or in that day that you do, you will surely die. This is the judgment. But all who put their faith in Christ are set free and are invited to the wedding feast of whom? The Lamb. The Lamb who takes away, the Lamb who laid down his life. 
This is a celebration of Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. So next time someone suggests to you, oh, all religious roads lead to God, just say, hold on a minute, that's not true. That's not true. It's the feast, the wedding feast of the Lamb. And all who have experienced and enjoyed the work of the Lamb on the cross are the ones who are invited. If you love the Lamb, if you love the fact that He died for you, you are invited. You will be there. What are we doing? At the wedding feast of the Lamb, we are reunited. The church, the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. The church, say it with me, the church is the bride of Christ. We are reunited with the Lamb of God. And what a wonderful, wonderful celebration. There it is. It's going to look exactly like this. Not many seats at that table, are there? I think, it's, I think it's supposed to show kind of an eternal kind of thing. But uh, don't anybody think this is exactly what it's going to look like? This is just to give you kind of uh, a visual to get you, get your, get, your, uh, get your juices flowing. Excited about that day when we get to sit down with the Lamb of God. What are we doing here? We're celebrating the defeat of sin and death at the cross. Does everybody understand that? And we're also celebrating the defeat of the world at the place called Armageddon. Now, let me just quickly go over point one, the defeat of sin and death at the cross. Access to heaven, in case you don't know it, and I'm gonna just, I wanna drill it home so you never forget it, that access to heaven is only through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you get that? Not through any other means. Buddha is not going to get you there. No Hinduism is going to get you there. Uh, Muhammad definitely is not going to get you there. There's no religion that's going to get you there. Only through Christ. And so we read in verse 7 of chapter 19, For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. That's talking about you and me. We've prepared ourselves for this feast. So how do we prepare ourselves? Well, first of all, you have to put your faith in Christ. You, actually, the Bible talks about putting on Christ as though he were a garment, a covering. Do you know that when you stand before the throne of God, he doesn't see Isaac, doesn't see Alan, sees, sees Jesus. This is what it means to put on and prepare yourself with, with fine linen. Did you believe in Jesus and take, to take away your sins? Have you believed in Jesus for that purpose? Then you, are, then you are prepared. But it doesn't stop there. I gotta ask a few more questions. You didn't know you were gonna come to church this morning and, and, and receive an examination. The good news is that you don't have to answer out loud, but you do need to answer in your own heart. Did you believe in Jesus to take away your sin? Did you follow him? Are you imitating him? When you stand before God, the question will be, did you obey Jesus? 
we talked about this. Did you clothe the naked? Did you feed the hungry? Did you visit those who were sick and in prison? Did you give water in Jesus' name? Remember the sheep and the goats? Do you love this world or do you hate it? Some of us are hunkering down like we're going to be on this earth for forever. Some of us are laying up for ourselves treasures on earth. And Jesus said, why are you doing that? Why would you do that? Where moth and rust and stock market crashes will destroy your wealth. In the midst of this coronavirus, we've seen the, the Dow industrial average just, just absolutely tank. Shocking. It's like a bloodbath. But if you put your, your faith in Christ and if you've invested in eternity, it doesn't mean a thing to you. You don't care. Do you love this world or hate it? Did you hate evil? Or did you love evil? Let me ask that in the present tense. Do you love evil? Or do you hate evil? You can answer that question. All you have to do is think about what you do every day, how you spend your time. Is it good or is it evil? Now, here's what you need to know. Jesus Christ came to this earth first as the Lamb of God, humble and powerless. Did you get that? Why? Because the first time he came, he came to set up his kingdom in your heart. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, who took away your sins, who suffered death on a cross, Jesus came and he set up his kingdom in your heart. So you call him King Jesus. Do you call him King Jesus? If you've been going to church for years, maybe it's time. It's time now for you to say, Lord, I surrender all. He came to reign first in our hearts. And all who believe in him will be saved. You'll be converted. You've heard me use that term. Converted, transformed. A brand new creation. That's what it means. That's what happens when you became a Christian. The old Alan is dead. I have no problem talking about the old Alan as though the old Alan was a different person. In fact, he was. He was a little brat, a little jerk, a little selfish, a little good for nothing. But now Alan, the new Alan, is being transformed by the power of Almighty God. I'm following Jesus and I put my faith in Christ and I'm looking forward to this for this supper. I can hardly wait. I can hardly wait. Some of you today are looking forward to that supper and some of you, this terrifies you. I'm gonna tell you, you have absolutely no reason to be terrified if you put your faith in Christ. Then you can say with the angels and with the elders and the creatures around the throne, But if not, then you're in trouble. But you've come to the right place. 
Because here at Cross Church, you're not going to hear another gospel. You're going to hear the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The truth. The good news. That if you put your faith in Christ, you will be born again. Hallelujah. The Lamb of God came to die for us to take away our sins. Some of you may know that I love to read the Puritans. The Puritans back in the 15 and 1600s. Thomas Watson, Puritan preacher, wrote a book in 1668. And here's what he said. The two great graces essential to a saint in this life are faith, which we all understand. But don't forget about repentance. What is repentance, people? Repentance means that you were going this way, but once God got a hold of your life, you put your faith in him, then you repented of your sins, and in fact, you repented of your old way of life, and you did an about face. So you were walking that way before, and now you're walking this way. This is what repentance is. And here's what Thomas Watson says. These are the two wings by which we fly to heaven. Faith and repentance. Now we know today that we are saved by faith, by grace. It's not of ourselves, lest anybody here should boast. Look how good I am. Any, when I hear a Christian talk like that, I think, you don't get it at all. You're probably not converted. You can't boast. Are you aware of your sin? Are you aware of your tendency to sin? Are you aware that, that you have the capacity for any sin? Well, Pastor Allen, you don't know me. I'm a good person. I've always been a good person. My mother told me I was a good person. And I believed her. I'm good. The fact of the matter is, only God is good. And Jesus himself says that. We need a Savior. We need to put our faith in a Savior who will redeem us. But folks, you have to live the life of repentance. In heaven, we celebrate not just Christ's victory at the cross, but Jesus comes a second time. This time, he doesn't come as a humble little baby in a manger. This time, he comes as a rider on the white horse, or as Ezekiel says, the warrior Messiah. He comes as a lamb the first time. The second time, he comes as the warrior. And here's what John says. Then I saw heaven open, and a white horse was standing there, its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. And then here's the picture of the white rider and the white horse. It's not exactly what it's going to look like, but I'm going to tell you, I wanted you to see this. I want to read to you. I want to read to you. of the victory in the valley of Armageddon. Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. 
Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. And from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a winepress. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of Kings and Lord of all lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky, Come, come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals, and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, and of all humanity, both free and slave, small and great. That's the battle of Armageddon. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast. Miracles that deceived all who accepted the mark of the beast and who worshiped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse, and the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. Jesus Christ, is victorious. And because Jesus Christ is victorious, you and you and you are victorious. In fact, John, Paul says we are more than victorious. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. This is the one that we love. This is the one we worship. This is the one that we are looking forward to seeing. My question for you today is this. Are you ready? Are you one of those people who are eager, eagerly looking for Christ's return? Here's the warning that Peter gives all of us, and then I'll close. So, dear brothers and sisters, Work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Don't assume that you're a Christian. Make sure that you know that you are a Christian. And I told you how. Put your faith in Christ and repent of your sins. Change the way you live. Peter says, do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And everyone said? Let's stand together. Father, we thank you today for your, for your son, Jesus Christ, who died to take away our sins. He came as a humble little lamb to pay the penalty that our sin deserved. The wages of sin still is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Father, we pray today that we would listen to the instruction of Peter and make sure that we've examined our hearts, make sure that we are truly converted, that we are truly born again. May we not take this for granted. We pray, O oh God, in Jesus' name, that you give us the grace and the strength to follow hard after Christ that we may with joy look forward to his return. We want to be people who are living for Christ and living like Christ. And so we commit ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Amen. Amen. Tell the person beside you, make sure you're ready. <laughs>